Hey guys, welcome to the Motivational Intelligence Podcast. I'm Sean Johnson, and I'm going to kind of be your guide on this journey. Um, it's our job on this podcast to study successful people and organizations and really deconstruct for you what makes them successful and give you the tools, the tactics, the takeaways that you can apply to your life and your career. Uh, so today we're talking with Dave Naylor. Dave is the Executive Vice President of Two Logical, an international corporate training firm. Uh, and we're talking with Dave about fear. So we're going to cover things like uh, the only two fears that you're born with, the question of do fears ever really go away, uh, and much, much more. Um, there's some cool stories in here that he shares, so uh, I hope you enjoy. And, uh, and be sure to uh, give a shout-out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, as this uh, podcast continues, we want to be hearing from you. We want to hear uh, what you want to hear about, what you want to learn about, uh, people that you want us to interview. Uh, so any recommendations or tips or ideas you have for us, uh, we would love to hear. Hope you enjoy. The Motivational Intelligence Podcast is produced by the team at Two Logical. Two Logical is an international corporate training firm and the world's leading expert in motivational intelligence, which is the ability to understand, manage, and change the motives people have. Two Logical offers over 30 different keynotes, workshops, and full training courses to small, medium, and large Fortune 500 companies in 53 countries, a lot of which you're probably familiar with. Advisor, Bank of America, GE, Constellation Brands, P&G, and more. All solutions are completely customized and the feedback from these sessions will blow your mind. If you have any training or speaking needs or just want to say hey, head over to twological.com. Welcome back to the Motivational Intelligence Podcast. I'm here with Dave Naylor, EVP of Two Logical. Dave, thanks for uh, taking the time to hang out. Hey, Sean. Happy to spend some time. Cool. Um, so what I wanted to kind of pick your brain on today um, was uh, fear. Mm, yes. Um, I think it's, uh, I know it's been something uh, relevant in my life in different ways, and I think probably everybody feels the same. Um so kind of where I wanted to start was maybe somewhere kind of broad and just talk about why do you think understanding fear in the first place is, is so important or important at all to, uh, to somebody that wants to succeed in life? Hmm. Well, great question. I, first and foremost, I mean, we all have fears that are obviously not all the same, but, yeah. uh, you know, each of us, you know, it, it ripples inside of us in, in, in different ways. But the other thing about fear that's important to understand, uh, and I think plays a huge role in terms of uh, an individual's success, is from a from a psychological perspective. There's there's two instinctual drivers of us, um, and every decision that we that we'll make in our lives is ultimately rooted in one of these two drivers. So. The, the first driver is enhancement. So we will make decisions that we see will enhance our perception of ourselves, our opportunities in life, or how other people view us, right? Um, and, and so that's, so we'll make decisions rooted in that, but we'll also make decisions rooted in preservation. So, you know, if we see that by making this decision or moving in this direction, it's going to protect us. It'll protect the way we feel about ourselves. It'll protect our lives from sliding backwards. Or it will protect us in terms of the way that people perceive us. Mm. And, and so, 
that that preservation side really is very much rooted in fear. Um, so you know, people make decisions um, that are that are driven by fears, and and what psychologists have shown is that um, of those two instinctual drivers, preservation or enhancement, for many, many individuals, um, they're more driven by their preservation instinct than they by their enhancement instinct. So mm -hmm. they make decisions more rooted out of fear than, than really opportunity. Yeah, it's kind of like that, um, uh, the caveman instinct that, mm -hmm. that everybody has going on. Yeah. Uh, you know, used to help you survive, um, but is not quite as useful anymore. And that's absolutely it. You know, if you if you think about it, fear is is a very very deeply rooted emotion, um, and and for you know centuries, you know, it, it was really predicated our survival. It kept us from you know being being eaten by you know animals and things that were vastly more powerful than we were. So it yeah. served a good purpose. You know yeah. that. The reality is not too many people get eaten by dinosaurs anymore. So uh, you know, so so I don't know if it serves such a noble purpose as right. much as it yeah. is now. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, and I think uh, I mean I think that's true. And I, the other important thing I think to highlight is everybody has fear. Oh and yeah. I think I think that's that's an easy thing for people to to forget. Yeah. Um, you know, as they look at people in in successful positions mm -hmm. and, and think that. Oh, they're they're completely fearless, and, yeah. and uh, that's really never the case. It's easy to put others on pedestals and, yeah. and feel like we don't belong on one, you know. Mm -hmm. So it, it, we oftentimes think that you know other people don't experience the same frailties that we do, but they do. You know, yeah. they just they they might have different job titles or different size <laughs> paychecks, but they, yeah. they experience the same the same emotions. Yeah, um, yeah. Like I remember, uh, you know, you talking about being in New Zealand. Uh, uh, I don't know what it was, six, eight months ago, something like that. And um, why don't you tell that story? Because yeah, that was one of your big fears. Right? Yeah, that was that was a big one. Yeah, yeah that was a big one. I, I actually, uh, uh, I was there with one of our client organizations, and uh, one of the ladies who works for their for that organization. Um, prior to us going over, she she asked me if I was a daredevil, right? Which is kind of an interesting, loaded question uh -huh. in hindsight. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, you know, I said, well, maybe, you know, maybe a little bit. And I said, what, you know, what, what do you got in mind? She said, well, she was the last time I was in New Zealand. She goes, I wanted to do something, but I couldn't get anybody to do it with me. And so she said, I, I was wondering if you'd be willing to. And I'm like, well, what is it? So uh, in uh, in downtown Auckland, uh, which is you know the the largest uh, city in the in the North Island of New Zealand, you can actually uh, bungee jump off the oh. the tallest building um, in uh, in downtown, and so she uh, she sort of talked me into doing it. Um, and I've, as I've gotten older, I'm less crazy about heights than I than I used <laughs> to be. Um, so we, uh, you know, you sign all the waivers and you sign away your life and all that yeah. kind of stuff, you know, and, yeah. and uh, you go up. So uh, she she uh, actually jumped off first uh, and then it got to be my turn. And so I, you walk out on this gangplank and you're about 800 feet above the, you know, above the city. Yeah. Um, and uh, you're you're looking down, and I mean, it's literally you're so high up you can't even see people and stuff oh, like God. that. It's and. Uh, so I'm standing on the edge of this this metal gangplank, and the guy behind me is he's hooking up all the cables and you know all of that kind of stuff. And I remember uh, 
uh, I'm standing there and he gets me all squared away and he says, uh, he goes, okay, he goes, you know, I'm, I'm going to count you down from three, you know, goes on, on one, I want you to jump, you know? Yeah. So I'm standing there and I'm holding on to these two metal rods to either side of me and I'm looking down and, and every ounce of my being wanted to turn <laughs> around and walk back in, yeah. you know? Right. And, uh, 800 feet of air. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, not that big a deal. And, uh, and, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I could, I could die today, you know? And, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and so it's, it's, it's funny that the conversation you have with yourself in your head. So it's like, hey, Dave, turn around. This is stupid. Go, go inside, yeah. you know? Cave, and then it's like, yeah, yeah. And then, and then the other side of me is like, Dave, if you, uh, you know, if, if you turn around and walk in, you're going to kick yourself for it for yeah. the rest of your life. And then, and then the other side of me is going, yeah, but the rest of your life might be really short if you, you know? <laughs> So, uh, you know, in the, in the end, uh, he counted me down and I'm like, well, let's go, you know? Yeah. And, and it was a pretty, it was a pretty exhilarating experience. I will yeah. say, you know, it, 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 uh, I, I can't earnestly say I remember a lot of it because you know, yeah. the, your, your adrenaline's so high. I think it short circuits your memory. Yeah. Um, but in hindsight, I'm glad I did it, yeah. you know, because it's one of those things where you, you realize that it's okay to be afraid yeah. And you don't have to let it rule you. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's recognizing that, you know, it's, it's there. It's almost the ability to move through it. Yeah. That it separates yep. people. Yep. That's exactly it. Um, yeah, no. And it sounds, sounds fun. I mean, it, it's like, you know, that's what people say on the other side of your greatest fears is your greatest love. Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, all right, cool. So that was, I guess, a good way to kick us off. So let's drill down a little bit deeper, um, you know, with, if everybody has, everybody has these fears, I think it'd be helpful for us to understand where do they come from? Why, yeah. why do we have them? Yeah. You know, what, what's the, what are the drivers behind yeah. fear? You know, it's, it's interesting when you look at it, and most researchers now agree that there's, there's only two fears that we're born with that are actually kind of woven into our DNA, kind of the innate survival fears, I guess you would say. Um, so what the researchers, you know, they, you know, what they, they've come to the conclusion of is that the only two fears we're actually born with are a fear of loud noises and a fear of falling from high heights. Um, and, and again, you can see how those are kind of survival rooted. Sure. It, it, but then you stop and you think about all of the the different things that people are afraid of, you know, it's, uh, they're, you know, they're afraid of, you know, enclosed spaces, they're afraid of the water, they're afraid of spiders or snakes or, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, those kind of things, or, you know, or maybe a salesperson's afraid of picking up the telephone or asking for an order or something like that, you sure. know. But, you know, you, if you step back and think about it, we're not born with any of those things. I mean, you know, nobody's born with a, you know, with claustrophobia, the fear of, you know, enclosed spaces. In fact, you know, my, my wife's a labor and delivery nurse. If you want to comfort a child, you, you swaddle them snugly in a blanket, you know, and, right. and it calms them down. Yeah, never you know, children, they spent nine months in a womb. That's why they feel comforted by that, right. you know. You know, children aren't, you know, we're not born afraid of the water, you know, is, is, you know, before we were born, we lived for nine months in amniotic fluid, you know, so, you know, so, so all of the, those things we, we have to learn to be afraid of. And, you know, and, and there's, there's different things that teach us to have those fears. You know, I'm not real crazy about snakes. Yeah. Um, but you know, my mom's not real crazy about snakes, (laughs) you know, so I'm sure I inherited that one from her, you know? 
The uh, um, so so really our, our, our most of our fears, with the exception of loud noises and falling from high heights, they're there because. We, we learned to be afraid of those things. It was something that, you know, we, we, we formed a belief that, you know, snakes are bad or, you know, and, and something taught us to have that belief. Yeah. Um, earlier you talked about success and the, the, with regard to fear, the most, kind of the most damaging um, uh, thing that, 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 fosters fear in terms of what in terms of achieving success is when people when they shape their beliefs in a way that they they learn to attach the feedback that they get in life to their sense of self-worth and so you know if somebody learns to believe or they come to believe that you know if i do something and i make a mistake if i do something and i screw it up if i do something and i get a less than optimal outcome, it's somehow a reflection of my personal worth. Right. And, and, and as soon as people make that mental connection, it takes them down a, a very dangerous pathway for the rest of their life because all of a sudden, every time there's that, that, that opportunity for things not to go right, they they they'll you know they experience that emotion of fear and it stops them so yeah. so they they really self regulate because yeah. of that and they they turn that preservation instinct on on their own self worth and that's that's exactly it and and yeah. then it becomes you know one of their primary drivers and and you'll you you meet people you know in life who ninety percent of the major decisions they've made in life are are really driven based upon their fears yeah. And you think about, you know, so you, you start thinking about the the way somebody moves through their life, the opportunities they go after, what they won't give themselves permission to go after. Yeah. Um, and, and you can really, you begin to see how people self-regulate in that regard. And yeah. they, you know, they, they, because of their fears, they almost destine themselves to a life of mediocrity. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and you, you touched on something, too, with, you know, uh, not being a huge fan of snakes, but, but your mom's not a huge fan of snakes. Mm-hmm. It's, it seems like, you know, maybe the, where a lot of people learn these fears for the first time is, is in childhood. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. I mean, I think there's, you know, obviously our parents or the adults who were, you know, around us when we were little kids, um, so much of the way we come to perceive the world as adults was really shaped by how they perceived the world. Yeah. You know, and, and so it's... Um, you know, and, and so, you know, I inherited my mother's, you know, fear of snakes because of that. I, I remember years ago, there was a, um, somebody shared me a, a, a funny story, uh, you know, about a, a little girl or asked her, she asked her mom, um, you know, mom, why do you, you know, why do you always cut the end off of the roast before you put it into the oven? Mm. And, um, so the, the mother responded, well, you know, she goes, I, you know, I, I don't really know. That's what my mother always did, you know. And so a couple of weeks later, they were over at the grandmother's house. And the, and, uh, the little girl said, well, Grandma, why, why do you always cut the, the you know, the, the end off the roast, you know. And, and the grandmother said, well, I, you know, I don't know. That's what my mom always did, you know. And mm-hmm. so a few weeks later, they're with the great-grandmother. And mm-hmm. so the little girl, you know, great-grandma, why, well, you know, why did you always cut the end off the roast? And the great-grandma responds, because I never had a pan that was big enough to put the whole roast in. 
Yeah, you know, and so, so time. yeah, it just gets handed down from generation to generation and just accepted as fact. Right. You know, and and nobody ever really steps back and, and questions it. And I think, yeah. yeah, I think fears get handed down generationally that way as sure. well. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So we all have these fears. You know, we have we understand a, a bit more. You know why we have them, where where they come from. Is there hope? Do they ever go away? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're pretty much all screwed, yeah. you know. The, you know, the interesting thing is, is that once, you know, once those those beliefs have been shaped around, you know, uh, you know, around those fears, they don't ever really go away. They will always be there. It's like a, it's like a tattoo on our brain, so to speak. And, right. and so they, they will always be there. But the difference is they don't have to rule us, and that's what and that's what people you know they they, they really have to come to understand is that you know just because my mom was afraid of snakes and 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 she you know and I inherited that fear because she always talked about being afraid of snakes. It doesn't necessarily mean that that you know I have to be ruled by a fear of snakes, and so it's I think it was. Uh, um, I'm trying to remember who, which which president it was. This is due to thing you fear and and, and fear will subside. Oh uh, yeah, maybe uh, JFK. Yeah, maybe uh, it was. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so the we can you can you will always experience that emotion that that kind of tingle the the you know the butterflies in your stomach when when you approach that fear. Yeah. But what happens is is as we is we raise our awareness, we we have the ability to acknowledge it, and and you can have logic override the fear. Yeah, you know, so so it's, it'll always be there, but you can override it with logic. Yeah, if you raise your awareness high enough to begin to you know recognize and and really think it through. Yeah, yeah. So how do let's drill down a little bit. How do we do that? Yeah. Um, how do we, you know, because it's one thing to say, you know. Uh, yeah, we we can do it. We can you know override it with logic, yeah. but it's it's another thing to put it into practice and actually yeah. and actually do it. Yeah. Well, you know, and this you know I, you know you bring back to the you know the the quote from uh, uh, I guess it was Kennedy. We yeah, said we'll, we'll go with we'll, that we'll, for we'll, now. We'll, we'll attribute it to him anyhow. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but uh, um, you know, do the thing, do the thing you fear, and your fears you know subside. You, you asked me earlier about you know bungee jumping off the building there. And it, I don't, I don't kid you. I mean, it was scary as hell. It's probably yeah. one of the scariest things I've done in my adult I, life. I, I you know. Imagine. Um, and uh, but if I was to go up right after that, it wouldn't have been as scary the next time. Yeah. You know. Um, and, and you know, we have to realize that to you know to a certain extent, probably no small extent, our you know our fears are are driven by our unknowns. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that first time I was standing at the edge of that building, uh, you know, I, I didn't know was I, yeah. you know, was, right. you know gonna what was going to happen. And, and, you know, so that, 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 that unknown, it, you know, it inspires that emotion of fear and then that fear paralyzes us. And, and so, you know, what can we do to, you know, to begin to, you know, overcome those fears? Well, I, I think, you know, part of it is, is to focus, you know, even going back to the story, you know, focus more on on, on, on what you want than what you don't want, and yeah. 
and um, you know, so the the um, you know going back to that example, you know, I and I knew that if you know that if I did it and I survived, mm-hmm. um, that you know I that I was going to feel empowered by yeah, that, you know. Um, whereas if I turned on and walked away, I'd be kicking myself for the rest of my life, like yeah. what a wuss you are, you know. Yeah, yeah I'd be eating that. Yeah. yeah, and you know, so so I think the. The first way that we can we can really begin to overcome our fears is is just put more energy, mental energy around on focusing on what we want versus what we don't want. Um, I think another piece of it too is really um, it's kind of getting comfortable with the idea of being uncomfortable. You know, it's mm. it's acknowledging the fact that just because you feel that uncertainty or just because you feel that butterfly in your stomach that it doesn't have to paralyze you it doesn't have to stop you you know so yeah. so i think that's a piece of it too is is just and again i think that goes back to the awareness you know in right. in you know so i think that's part of it um i i think a lot of people too i mean they're they're Especially in the business realm, but probably in other areas of life too, um, you know that the, the fear of the fear of failure, the fear fear of having something not work out the way we we want it to work out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a that is a in a lot of people is a very crippling fear, and and so I think we have to we really have to shift our, our, our perspective on failure. And if you look at a lot of highly successful people, I think they do that really well. You know, they, they, they just, they fundamentally look at, at, at failure through, you know, as a, it, from a totally different perspective yeah. than, than what, what most people look at it as. Yeah. Um, and then, and I guess maybe fourth, uh, way you know in terms of helping us to move past our fears is is i guess it's it's coming to term with coming to terms with the the unknowns of you know the what if kind of things and 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 accepting or acknowledging that or or maybe not um maybe not putting as much weight on those unknowns. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if we could, what I'd like to do is, is even drill down even deeper. Let's get into the nitty gritty of, of, of those couple things where, cause I think that's, that's the important thing is it, the, you know, perhaps the most important thing that people will walk away with, um, is, you know, one recognizing that everybody has fear and, mm-hmm. and that it's okay that they have fear, but, to how do we move past them? Um, and so, you know, if we could, you know, even drill down even more on on those those four things that you, you noticed, you know, you, you said focus more on, on what you want than what you don't want. Mm-hmm. Um, can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, when we opened up the conversation, I, I talked about the the two drivers, you know, the, the enhancement and the preservation instinct, right. That, that, you know, ultimately all of our decisions from the simplest to the broadest in our life are, you can, you can trace back to one of those two drivers. Um, highly successful people as, as, as a general rule are 
are going to be more driven by their enhancement instinct. People who struggle more in life will be driven by their preservation instinct. Um, so more fear-driven, if yeah. you will. Um, and that's the what, what we want and what we don't want. Yeah. And so uh, all right, I'll give you, I'll give you a, uh, kind of a neat example of what, what it is that, that, that we're talking about. Um, so I remember back, let's see, this was probably... I bet you this is maybe 23, 24 years ago, right? Um, and there was a, a gentleman uh, who he, he ran a, 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 a local company. Um, and it was a business that his dad had started before him. Um, and, uh, and his dad was getting up there in age and, and kind of getting to the point where he was ready to step back. And so the son was taking on a bigger, bigger role in the organization. So this guy had gotten referred to us. Um, and, uh, so, you know, one day he comes in and we're sitting in a conference room talking and, and I asked him, I said, well, you know, why, why did you want to come in and meet? And he said, well, he goes, you know, uh, he said, well, I was, I was hoping you might be able to give us some advice in, in, in helping us with our business. I said, well, you know, what's going on? And he said, uh, he said you know, our, our business um, has historically always been the kind of business where customers came to us, right? And then, you know, we would, we would help them and, you know, and, and, and that was kind of the model that we operate under. He said, now what's happened is... Um, we've got more competition and, um, and we just don't have as many customers coming to us as, as they used to. Um, and so I was hoping you could give us some advice in terms of, you know, how can we get more customers? So, you know, I, I looked at him, I said, well, it, it seems to me like your, your problem's fairly straightforward. You know, you, you used to always be a passive marketing company. Um, and that worked for your dad for a lot of years. And, and now because competition has increased, you can't be passive anymore. You know, you have to be more proactive. So whether than, you know, rather than waiting for people to come to you, you got to go to them. You know, you got to become more, more sales oriented. Right. Um, so then I, you know, I, I, so I said that dirty five letter word sales, you know, (laughs) and, and you, it was, it was kind of a crazy thing. Like you could literally see this like dark cloud come over his head, you know? Right. And, and, and he, he, you know, and he, he says, well, he goes, well, you, you know, you, you, what you may not understand, he said, is that, um, he goes, you know, sales people, they're kind of aggressive. And, you know, he goes, I've always been a little bit more laid back. He goes, you know, and sales people, they're, they're, you know, people, people. And he goes, I'm not really a people person. And, you know, salespeople are going and I'm a little more introverted. And so he, he basically goes through this litany of reasons why he couldn't be a salesperson or sales oriented you know painting himself into a corner totally you know and and so uh uh and and i i you know i recognized as he was doing that that you know what i was really looking at there is i'm i'm looking right at one of his comfort zones you know yeah right and so i i said to him i said well i said um i said if you'll bear with me for a second i said um i'd like to just play a little game with you, you know, and he kind of gives me this funny look and, and he goes, oh, all right. So I said, I said, let's just say by some stroke of fate that your, your business was to become more sales oriented moving forward, right? I, I said, what, what would that mean for the business? 
He goes, well, he goes, I guess we would you know, have more customers. And I go, okay, but why is that important to you? He goes, well, because if we had more customers, we'd make more money. And I go, okay, but why is that important to you? And he said, well, he goes, you know, if the company's making more money, he goes, I would make more money, you know? And I go, okay, why is that important to you? And he goes, well, he goes, I'm, I'm, I'm getting married in the fall. And he goes, and, um, you know, my, my fiance, she really wants to buy a house. And he said, if I was making more money, he said, uh, I could afford the down payment. We could buy that house. And I go, okay. I said, is that important to your fiance? He goes, oh my God. He goes, is all she ever talks about, right? <laughs> and uh, I go, okay. Um, I said, now your, your dad, I said, is, is he still involved in the business? And he goes, he goes, oh yeah, yeah. And he goes, uh, so I said, well, if the company's making more money and you're making more money, I said, would your dad also make more money? And he goes, he goes, oh yeah, of course, you know. And and I said, okay. I said, I said, so let me ask you this question. And I said, how does it, uh, you know, I I said, how do you think it would make your dad feel to know that he, you know, he'd, he'd run this business for all these years, supported you and your mom and your family and all that, and now you've taken it over and you've grown the business and you know the business is making more money and you're making more money, he's making more money. I said, how do you think that would make your dad feel about you? And he goes, well, he goes, probably proud. Yeah. And I said, is that important to you, for your dad to be proud of you? And he goes, well, well, yeah, of course it is. I go, okay. And I said, now let's take that and just set it aside for a second. I said, now let's just pretend that we just, the business just keeps going right down the same road it's going down right now. Nothing changes, right? Um, I said, what, what do you think that would mean for the business? And he goes, well, he goes, you know, last year was a really tough year for us. And he said, he goes, I, I don't know if we could survive another year like that. And so I said, so what you're telling me is the business would likely go out of business? And he goes, yeah, maybe. I go, yeah, that's no big deal. I said, businesses go out of business all the time. I said, I said, you know, you're a relatively young guy. You'll just find yourself another job. I said, you probably had other jobs before, right? And he goes, well, actually, he goes, you know, I've, I never really have. He said, I've kind of worked in the family business since I was like a teenager, you know? Yeah. And I said, ah, eh, still. I said, you're a young guy. You'll adapt. Oh I said, you, you can get yourself yeah. another job. <laughs> and uh, I said, uh, but what about your dad? I said, uh, I said, how, how, how many years has he been doing this for now? And he goes, uh, he goes, about 38. And I go, oh, okay. I said, do you think your dad's got enough money to retire on? And he goes, I don't. I don't, I don't really think so. I go, oh, I guess, I guess that means that your dad would probably need to get another job too, you know? And he goes, yeah, maybe. I said, after 38 years, you think that would be easy for him? And uh, and he's like, I, I, I don't think so. I go, uh. I said, what about that house? I said, would you be able to do that? And he, he goes, uh, no. He goes, I wouldn't be able to do that. I said, oh, so your fiance would be pretty disappointed too then, wouldn't she? And, uh, and he goes, yeah. And I said, uh, I said, so let me ask you, I said, how does it make you feel knowing that your dad ran this company for 38 years and supported the family and, you know, and, uh, and now, you know, he's handed the keys over to you, you're taking it over and the, and the, the business dies on your watch. And he, he, he sat there just in silence, probably three, four, five minutes. It felt like an eternity, right? Um, and, 
just kind of staring at the table. And then he, you know, he looks up and he looks at me and he says, uh, Dave, he goes, can you teach me how to sell? <laughs> and, you know, if you, if, if you think about what happened in that conversation, I, 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 what I did really is I, I took him down those two pathways of the, you know, the enhancement and the preservation instinct. And, yeah. and so by, by asking him those series of questions, it, it really helped him to focus more on what he wanted versus what he didn't want. Yeah. And Given that clarity of thought. Exactly. You know, he realized, you know, he, I don't even know if you necessarily realized it, but the, you know, but, but he was very much being ruled by that, you know, that, that fear, all those, I can't do this, I can't do, you know, his comfort zones were, were, were reining him in. It's um, kind of blind to the other stuff. That's exactly it. Now, you know, the, now, just to tie, you know, tie up the story. So, so that year, um, he worked very diligently to, you know, to, to become a, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, more sales focused in the business, did a, a wonderful job doing so. Um, the company, uh, you know, ended up making more of that, you know, over that year than it had in, in any year, you know, uh, previous. Um, they uh, went out, they bought their largest competitor. Um, they ended up buying a, a, a factory to support the, 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 the business. Uh, and, uh, and both he and his dad made more money than they ever had, you know, in a year previous. But it all came in that, in that moment of clarity. You know, it's, um, it's amazing what people can do when they get on the other side of their fears to the comment that you made uh, earlier. Yeah, on the other side of your greatest fears is your greatest life. There you go. Yeah. How about, uh, uh, you mentioned before being comfortable, being more comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. What does that mean and how do you do that? Yeah. Um, you, you know, from most of us, um, the, the, I think in, there's a, there's a, that sense of when we feel apprehension, you know, when we, we feel self-doubt, we get that sense of trepidation or the cold sweats or, um, that there is that, there's something we just there's it, it seems like there's something innately wrong like it's it, it kind of goes yeah. back to like you know we talked about cavemen earlier and that you know walking into that dark cave you know yeah um and and you know the hair stands up on the back of their neck and they're like okay there's danger there something i can't do wrong. it yeah, yeah yeah so i should stop yeah you know and so in in while that kept our ancestors alive four million years ago, or right. however many million, um, would have put your friend out of business. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and and so it's, so it's it's it really is. It's it's recognizing that when we feel that way, it's not a warning sign that we should stop. It you know it what it is 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 it's just a you know it's a flag in our mind that's popping up saying you're doing something you haven't done before. Yeah, yeah, and. No. Exactly, and and that's not a bad thing. You know, I, I read an article a while back, and they talked about the fact that, you know, the most successful people in life will typically spend about twenty five percent of their time outside of their comfort zones, hmm. and so, so if you think about, that's it, like six hours a day. Yeah, it's a right? lot. Yeah, you know, so six hours a day, 
you know, doing things that 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 make them feel uncomfortable. You know, doing things that that that, that are challenging them. And, yeah. and so, you know, so six hours a day seems like a lot, but but then when you step back and you really think about it, you know, it's in all of those little decisions that that, that we make in life, right? So, you know, you you get up in the morning and and. You know, do I do I go for a run or do I, you know, and right there, so there there's one of those, you know, in my comfort zone, out of my comfort zone. Because, yep. you know, part of me is going, oh, you're tired. You didn't get enough yeah, sleep last night. You know, bad right yeah, now. exactly. Yeah. You know, um, you know, you know, what do I eat for breakfast? Do I, you know, do I go for that, you know, that that tall stack of pancakes that look yeah. really good or do I eat something more healthy, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, so we, we have those decisions with those crossroads all day long you know do we are we doing are we doing the most important thing or are we doing the easiest thing yeah and and the generally speaking the most important things are the things that make us feel most uncomfortable yeah and so so when you really step back and think about it you know what decisions do we make when we come upon those crossroads and you know are we making the ones that maybe make us most uncomfortable in that moment but in the long run are going to make us infinitely more comfortable because you know we're you know we're 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 more fit we live a healthier lifestyle we you know and and you know ultimately our life is the sum total of all of those little decisions that we make yeah yeah and it feels it seems like it's you know it's almost a muscle Mm -hmm. you know to to be uh you know kind of like you said you're standing on the the edge of of the uh, that building in yeah. in New Zealand, the first time is scary. The second time wouldn't have been as scary. Yeah. Um, and I, it, it seems like it's you know that uh, that feeling of discomfort in those times is kind of a muscle where that that you can strengthen where you yeah. feel like okay, I recognize this emotion and I know that if I push forward, yeah. I, I know. The other side's not that bad. Yeah. Well, and and there's the. I think that's a great point. The. You know they. The, you know the, you know we're, we're creatures of habit. You know and and so the, you know the 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 hardest time to go work out is the first time you go work out. You yeah. know, or after you've fallen off the wagon, you're trying to get yourself back in there. But yeah. if you if you create the habit of getting in the gym consistently, yeah, it's it, there's not that big deal, you know. And, yeah. and it almost feels bad when you don't go. Exactly. So you know. So I, I, I think you're absolutely right. It's the 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 more you get into the habit of doing the things that maybe make you feel uncomfortable, the the easier it is to start being comfortable in being uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Um. The third one you mentioned was about failure yeah. uh, and our, our perspective on failure. And I guess, you know, kind of what that means to us or how we file it mm-hmm. in our minds. Um, what, what do you mean by that? If you, if you go back and study, um, you know, study inventors or, or, or entrepreneurs and whether you look at a Thomas Edison or a Henry Ford or um, uh, you know like a Thomas Watson who's, you know, who started IBM in fact I think Watson said because um, if I'm trying to remember this quote uh, uh, if you want to know the formula for success double your rate of failure hmm. yeah you know and in, in you know Thomas Edison uh, a reporter asked him, 
you know, he, he, had, he documented more than 10,000 experiments in the process of making the electric light bulb work, right? And uh, a reporter had asked him, uh, you know, Mr. Edison, uh, uh, I'm, I'm curious, why after, you know, 10,000 failures didn't you come to the conclusion that electric light wasn't going to work? And Edison, you know, looked at the reporter and responded, I didn't fail once in the process of inventing electric light. He said, I just figured out 10,000 ways it wouldn't work. <laughs> you know, and, and you look in both of those examples, and, and the way that these individuals, they, they look at failure is, you know, most people look at failure like it's, it's there's a finality to it you yeah. know and and it's that it's, thing. it's it's the worst thing that could happen exactly you know something to be avoided at all costs yeah. and and in part of part of that goes back to what we talked about earlier and that is that you know people attach feedback to their sense of self-worth right. so so if i fail at something i am a failure yeah right and people just instinctually make that connection without even recognizing it exactly and and, you know, and, and thus, you know, it is, it is, you know, avoid failure at all cost. And, and yet, if you look at highly successful people, and it's, and it's, you know, I mean, really, and unfortunately, I think society, society kind of does a lousy job teaching this lesson. Yeah. Um, you know, we put people on a pedestal who've achieved great things, but, but you know, and, and we lead people to believe that, you know, it was an overnight success right. that, you know, that the first time they attempted it, they were, you know, phenomenally successful. And, you know, first time Eric Clapton picked up a guitar, he was playing Layla, you yeah, know, and, right. <laughs> and it, it, you know, and, and, and they don't, they don't do a good job teaching us about the dues that these people had to pay, the, yeah. the setbacks that they overcome, the, and, you know, and, and, and thus I think that people, they, they have an expectation that if something is difficult, if something doesn't instantaneously provide positive feedback, if, if they struggle at something or it doesn't work out perfectly the first time, that there's just something wrong. Yeah. And, you know, they label it a failure and then they, and, and they shove it away in a back closet and they go on to something else. The, you know, highly successful folks they they don't they don't look at failure from that that kind of um you know kind of step succeed fail kind of perspective they equate failure just like edison they they equate failure with learning yeah you know so they don't judge themselves or their self-worth based upon an outcome they, you know, they, they, they look at that outcome and they say, okay, what did that outcome teach me? What can I learn from that? How can I leverage that so as I approach it next time, I do it a little bit better? And okay. so, so every time they do things, just like Edison, they, they make these incremental improvements until ultimately they dialed in the combination. Yeah. And the, so when you look at, at people who accomplish great things, they're not ruled by that fear of failure. They just, it's, you know, one of um, uh, John Casey, who uh, is one of our guys here at Too Logical, years ago, um, I remember he, he uh, started using this phrase, win or learn. Mm -hmm. And uh, and, and I, it was just, it's such a, uh, I think a brilliant phase, yeah. uh, a phrase rather, um, 
because you know every time we set out to do something, we either win or we're going to learn something. That as long as we stay on the pathway, you know, we we you know we will win down the road. Yeah. And that's and so much of success is really based on persistence and one's willingness just to keep practicing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, Bezos at, at Amazon talks about that all the time. He talks, you know, in, in all of his shareholder letters, it feels like every year he's, he's talking about, you know, the importance of experimenting and mm-hmm. how if you know it's going to work, it's not really an experiment. Right. And, and it's okay to fail. Yeah. And, and the fact that we are failing at, at so many things is why we're as big as we are. And we don't encourage that in our society. No. You, you, know? just, see, you just see Bezos on the cover of, of yeah. Forbes and, oh, he, he built Amazon overnight. Yeah, and, uh, he, and he could afford to give his ex-wife $36 billion, yeah. Right. you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. that's there what you, you see more now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you don't... Uh, you know, society it does do a horrible job at. Yeah. Um, I mean, we should champion failure. You know, yeah. we should we should you know recognize, applaud people that are that are willing to take the risk and try something, and then encourage them to you know just keep trying. And you know, the the the, the crazy thing is, you think about what we do with our children when we're trying to teach our children to walk, right? Yeah. Right. And and that's exactly what we do with our kids. You know, our kids fall down, and and we go yeah. and we hug them, and we encourage them, and we praise them, and Great you know, job. yeah. So we and, and and you know, so we we do the right thing when you know when our children are toddlers. Yeah. But it's like that for some reason that same lesson just escapes us as we as we get older, and and yeah. whether we do it to ourselves or whether whether you know we we do it to other people, it's you know we. We need to champion failure more as being a great thing. You know, you tried. You know, as long yeah. as you learned and you keep moving forward, then fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and the, and the you know the one thing that that comes to mind that you know of, uh, I've I've learned from from you and John and, and Joe and, and you know something that you guys typically do uh, and and always reinforce um, is that habit of self reflection yeah. after. You know uh, whether it, it is, and it kind of fits into that win or learn. Whether you did win or whether you you did fail, mm-hmm. um, you know, walking through that process. I you know, I was laugh thinking about the the story you tell about the the first sales call you went oh, on. God, yeah. uh, that was painful. <laughs> I've had, sadly, I've had a lot of those painful moments. <laughs> but it's but it's you know and it's. You know, and I don't. Uh, Judgment is one of those things that um, the older I've gotten, the more I, I I've come to realize is is one of the one of the worst of human traits. I think you know is yeah. it, you know whether we're judging ourselves or judging other people. You know, um, we we really have to look and you know I made colossal screw ups in my life. You know and and. And embarrass myself more than you know more times than I can account, and 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 it's and it's easy to you know beat ourselves up and and attack our self worth and undermine ourselves based upon those things. Um, but that doesn't it doesn't get us anywhere. It doesn't help us right. to grow. It doesn't help us be any stronger. It just candidly, it just helps makes us be weaker. Yeah. Um, Versus just really stepping back and looking at it and saying, okay, well, yeah, that sucked. You know, I, yeah. I, I hope that never happens to me again. Right. And what can I do to make sure it doesn't? Yeah. You know, and, and, and there, that's that winner learn side of things, you know. And the more, yeah. the more we reflect, which is a very 
underutilized human skill set, um, the, uh, uh, the the better we get at that, you know. Yeah. Um, and and so just as we need to champion failure more, I think we need to champion reflection more. Yeah, yeah. No, and and I think you know, uh, I, you know, even just want to echo again the what you said about you know judgment. Um, yeah, I mean, even thinking about like, you know, to have a relationship with anybody else, whether it's a spouse or a friend or, or whoever, if you're constantly judging them or they're constantly judging you, you're not going to have a very good relationship. No. And, no. Uh, and I think, you know, I think that's something that, you know, probably people need to be reminded of and mm-hmm. they get intuitively. But I also think the thing that they forget is like, is the relationship they have with themselves mm-hmm. and like you're judging yourself you're not going to have a great relationship with no, yourself no because you're, you're you know it, 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 it's almost like you and it the more judgmental you are the more you if you're judging of others you're going to make you, you know you, you what's happening is that person will never live to your standard right and uh, so you're always going to be you know you're never going really going to be happy with them and you're going to make so you make yourself miserable and you make them miserable right you know and and I think the same the same thing's true. The more we, we we stand in judgment of ourselves, is you know we just you know it's like clipping our wings. You know yeah. we 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 you know we're 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 not going to make ourselves happier, um, and and we're just going to more and more you know limit the opportunities or limit the risks that we will take in our lives. Yeah. And as you know, we recognize with risk comes reward. And yeah. So you know, if, if someone's not willing to try things, then you know they're not going to they're not going to get the rewards in life. Yeah. All right. How about uh, how about the fourth? Um, you mentioned getting to know our unknowns. Yeah. You know, we talked earlier about how. So much of fear is really rooted in those unknowns. You know, the, the, um, you know, you look at somebody from a business perspective and, you know, they, they, they're not willing to try something because they're sitting there going, well, if I screw this up, you know, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to look like an idiot to myself, my peers, to my boss? Am I going to get yelled at? Am I going to get fired? You know? And you know, the, you you add all those sum total of those unknowns up, and and you get this ball of fear in their stomach, and that you know it paralyzes them, stops them from doing things. So um, there's a there's a great quote from uh, I think it was from J. Paul Getty. So Getty was like an oil wildcatter uh, back yeah. in the nineteen early part of the nineteen hundreds, and and he was uh, uh, he was asked about his um, you know, the secret to his success, basically, you know, and he said, uh, he said, you know, I, I, I take the time to think about what is the worst possible thing that could happen here. Mm-hmm. He said, and then I put energy around making sure that doesn't happen, you know, mm-hmm. and so I think getting to know our unknowns is really just like he was doing, you know, just what really is the worst thing that can happen. Yeah. And, and, and is it really all that bad if it does? Yeah. You know, because a lot of times I think we, we amplify the magnitude of these things way beyond what the reality of yeah. the outcome is, you know? We build them up emotionally in totally. our heads without, you know, rationally actually thinking through what what we're even afraid of or what that would actually mean. Yeah, yeah. And then that, that emotion just trumps all, you know? Yeah. It's, um, so, you know, for us to just sit back and really... 
ask the question, what what really is the downside? Is it yeah. really that bad? Yeah. You know, relative to what the potential upside is. Yeah. Yeah. And even, you know, and even if the worst happened, how could I get back mm-hmm. to where I am now? And yeah. it's usually not as dramatic of a of an endeavor as, as people think. Exactly. You know, and, and so, it, you know, just taking the time to really think it through. But, you know, a lot of this, again, it goes back to, you know, how do you override the emotion of fear? Well, it comes back to really beginning to use some logic around it. Yeah. You know, and that, you know, we, we talk about that all the time in, in you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the training side of things that are, you know, our, our thoughts and beliefs drive our actions, our actions drive our results. And, and, you know, in between those, you know, the thoughts and beliefs and the actions lies our emotions. Yeah. And, you know, and, and there's, you know, it's what, what is the root cause of our, our emotions? You know, what is the, you know, what, what is the motive that makes us feel fear? Yeah. And so if we, you know, if, if we really can begin to wrap our head around that side of things, that's how we begin to control our emotions. That's how we override the emotion of fear. Yeah. Yeah, if the motive for fear is is an unknown, the more we're able to make it not an unknown, exactly. the less fear we have. Yep, that's exactly it. Yeah. So what does... Let's talk about what fear looks like. You know, like how do we, how do we uh, know it when we see it? You know, whether it's... You know, how does it show up at work or how does it mm-hmm. show up at home or yeah how do we how do we know when we see it the um, you know of course the you know we travel around the world and working in organizations and and fear is really the it's the it is the the single greatest factor that creates organizational drag mm. you know it's the um, uh, organizations can have the you know the best of intentions. They can have the greatest of strategies or the most phenomenal of, of products, but still struggle in implementing or executing. And and the biggest root cause of that is is fear. Um, you know, so it's it's it you know it's fear that that causes people to you know, rationalize why a strategy won't work or why it isn't relevant to them. Um, it's, you know, it's fear that causes people to say that goals are unrealistic. Uh, you know, it's it's fear that causes people to resist change and, and cling to, you know, legacy thinking. Um, it, you know, it, it's fear that really slows down organizational agility. When, you know, we're working with a, uh, a Fortune 500 client right now and they uh, um, they just acquired uh, one of their competitors, so they're you know they're in the midst of of you know integrating these two organizations and you know, they, oh yeah, and they um, it, it, you know and they spend a lot of time and a lot of energy in the early phases. You know how do we integrate systems and processes and and you know and all of that back office size side of things where we gain some measure of efficiency and can justify what we spent you know for to acquire this this organization um but ultimately that you know the 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 biggest thing and, and we see this so many times we'll go into organizations four five six years after 
they've you know merged together with another organization and you still have people who are saying well i'm legacy this or i'm legacy that they still cling to these these legacy cultures yeah they're not um, unified right not at all and and you know and and so the the biggest thing that we see that that really takes the value out of out of merging organizations together is it's not the systems and the processes it's integrating the people and fear is one of the biggest things that that you know that creates that you know that 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 integration from happening um and people are you know they're afraid well what does this mean for my job or you know this the other organization doesn't do things the same way we do and and you know and i don't know how they do it and you know i've built my expertise and in, in my ability to you know so they, there's all these all that you know that 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 the the emotion of fear they wrap around things that keeps them ever really from coming together and creating a unified culture. So, you know, fear shows up in, you know, in, in the workplace and almost every single day. I don't know, I don't know that, I think, I think that as organizational leaders, um, we, we see the symptoms of fear. Yeah. Um, I don't know that that there's i don't know that we always do a great job really diagnosing that that's the, what it is yeah 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 the the actual disease right exactly yeah um so you know you kind of mentioned uh, a few of those those symptoms of i'm legacy this or i'm legacy mm-hmm. that or um you know that's not for the way that we did it or um, and those kinds of things. So, and those are universal. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's amazing. You know, it's funny because you know as we're traveling around the world and working with different organizations, the um, every organization they 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 want to think that they're unique, yeah. um, and they you know that their problems like are purely their problems. And, uh-huh. and what what really is it's it's pretty incredible. And it doesn't matter, you know, I think we do business in, I think, 53 different countries right now. And, and the it doesn't matter what country you go into. It doesn't matter what industry you go into. The, the people problems are universal. Yeah. Which, you know, I don't, I, you know, if you, if you, you know, if you had asked me 25 years ago if, if you know, I thought that was going to be the case, I, I don't, I think I would have said no. Yeah. But it, it is incredible as we go into organizations and, you know, how the those people challenges are exactly the same. Yeah, people are people no yeah, matter where they are. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, and, and so the, the ripple effect of fear is, you know, it impacts organizations exactly the same way around the world. Yeah. But it, but again, as leaders, I don't know that I don't know that leaders always recognize that. Yeah. So what what should they do? What should they do better? What, you know, how do they how do they better recognize it uh, and minimize the impact of it? Yeah. You know, because it's clearly hurting them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, I've I've. I've seen different leaders approach it, you know, in, in different ways, um, and obviously some better than others. One of the things that, you know, over the years, um, I've asked a lot of folks in groups um, to, you know, to 
tell you know kind of tell me about the great leaders that you've had in your past you know the you know who's that person who stands out in your mind made the biggest difference in you you know and and um one of the one of the universal themes that that people will come back with is they talk about the best leaders they've had in their past is they you know they they will talk about how that leader created a safe environment how they knew that that leader had their back how they um uh you know that there was a that 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 safe space to try things you know so that so that you know you you didn't have to be so fearful um i remember there was a uh uh a gentleman at pfizer years ago and he had a wonderful talk track that he would always use with uh, his um, uh, when he had a new person that came on the team, and uh, he he would sit down with the person. And he'd say, "Well, now that you've joined our team," he said. He goes, I, "I want you to know something about the team." He said, "Our team is all about learning," and he said, uh, "You know, a, a big part of learning means that you're going to make mistakes." He said, "I I expect." that you will make mistakes. He goes, if you never make a mistake, he said, I'm going to get worried about you. He said, because that means you're not learning anything. He said, I also expect that you won't make the same mistake two times. He said, because that also means you're not learning anything. <laughs> you know, and, and, I, and I remember when he said that, you know, what a, what a wonderful expectation is set up yeah. front with a with a new person you know to, to kind of set in their mind that 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 safe environment uh um not too long ago i was um working with a uh, a group from lincoln financial and um uh one of the folks in the in the group talked about an early manager that he had and this manager said you know there uh, he sat this new employee down who was kind of a little overwhelmed by the magnitude of the new job and all the stuff that he had to do and the manager said to him, uh, there is no mistake that you can make that is so big that we can't fix it. And, and he said, you know, and he goes, it just gave me a level of comfort, you know, in, in my early phases when I was overwhelmed, you know. And so I, I think that, you know, one of the things that the, that the greatest of leaders do is they, you know, they set the right expectations up front and they, and they, they let people know that, you know what, it's, it's, it's okay if you make a mistake. It's not a bad thing, you know, it's, you know, it's, it, you know, it's, uh, and, and we can fix it. So don't worry about it. Yeah. You know, so they take that weight off of people's back or kind of, you know, remove that, that fear of judgment, if you will. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, we talked about it before we're on, on the, the personal side of, of identifying what the, the worst thing that could happen is. Yeah. And, and figuring out if that happened, how could we get back? And the reality is pretty much 100% of the time you can get back to, yeah. to where you want. And it yeah. seems like, um, you know, great leaders just do that for their people. Yeah. So I, I definitely think that's one thing that, that, you know, great leaders can do. That that win or learn that we talked about earlier, um, yeah. you know, that, that philosophy um, is one that, you know, when, as I've looked at peak performing teams over the years – that's a cornerstone of, of the culture of, of any true peak performing team that they have that that yeah. kind of winner learn philosophy and so the, you know they're, they're because of that they're very feedback driven you know they're very reflective they they take the time to study successes and setbacks 
not not for judgmental, but really for learning purposes. And yeah. and because there's a consistency of uh, of uh, of studying and feedback and reflection, yeah. you know, people that they, they, they gain a comfort level with that. So I, I think that's a big thing that that, that leaders can do. Um, well, yeah, and, and I think, uh, you know, the, the learning of it, you know, we've, we've talked about the value of, of failure, and, and it's, but it's really the, the learning piece of it that makes it valuable. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, and I think that was a great thing that, um, you know, the, the talk track from the, the Pfizer fellow mm-hmm. was, um, uh, you know, I expect that you'll make mistakes, but I, ex- I also expect you won't make the same mistakes twice, yeah. and that that means you're learning and that learning piece is yeah. really what makes the failure valuable. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and that's where it's it's the when people struggle with fear when they is, you know, they 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 attach that feedback to their sense of self-worth, so they are very rooted in the judgment side of things, you know, and yeah. and if you if you focus more on the learning side of things, you kind of break that that judgment side right because you know whether whether it was a screaming success or whether it was a dismal setback um you know there's there's still a positive outcome that comes as long as you learn you know and and so i i think that's a piece of it um there was you know it was interesting i was i was talking to um a uh an executive uh up in canada here not long ago and and she is a um uh, she's a, uh, has a, a daughter who's you know in uh, in school, and she's a big fan of Carol Dweck. Um, and so exactly, um, wonderful book, and um, and and she made a she made a very interesting uh, comment or an in- interesting insight that she kind of pulled from from studying the work that Carol had done, and you know she talked about the importance of rewarding effort uh and not just success yeah and i think that plays a role in it too you know if it's um uh if if all we do is reward when somebody has that phenomenal outcome if if they're going down a pathway and and that phenomenal outcome isn't looking very promising um you know they 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 stop you know and and they they don't put in more effort and I think as whether whether it's as parents or, or whether it's as, as leaders in the business realm, um, what we really want is we want effort. You know, yeah. we want we want constructive effort. Um, yeah. And it, because we recognize that if somebody puts in enough effort, the success is there's a certain inevitability to it. Right, they'll get there. Exactly. Um, and so I remember when this lady was talking about it. You know, it, it really resonated with me that. That we need to, as leaders, we need to put more weight on on recognizing the efforts as well as the successes, but not just the successes. Yeah. So well, yeah, and you know, Charlie Charlie Munger talks about uh, you know the importance of of incentives mm-hmm. in business, and you know, if you should probably be spending twice as much time on incentives as as you are right now, and um, I think that applies to yeah, you know, sure the. The specific metrics and things like that, but I think there's also the emotional incentives. Yes. You know yeah. the the motives of uh, I want that positive feedback, and yeah. if all your all your you know the only incentive is is the actual outcome, mm-hmm. then yeah, people will give up. 
Well, I mean, if you look at what the studies show, and, and there's there's been no shortage of studies that are, you know, that talk about what people want or what they value in a, you know, in, in you know, in terms of their, you know, the, 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 the business side of things. Uh, and every study I've seen, you know, it, it talks about that, you know, kind of that emotional compensation as yeah. as having every bit as much weight, if not more weight, than the monetary compensation. Yeah, I think particularly with you know the the millennial generation, yeah. I you know Gallup has study after study mm-hmm. about how you know they're seeking that sense of purpose. Yeah. And, and they're seeking more coaching and mentoring. Right. And they're seeking that continuous feedback. Yep. And that's therein lies the emotional compensation, you know. Yeah. So it's the whether it's whether it is you know recognition or whether it's um, you know uh, the additional coaching efforts and those types of things. It, you're, that's you know that's the emotional compensation side of things. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. There was a lady. Um, she was a chief marketing officer of one of our technology clients and. I remember she shared a story with me early on in her career. She she talked about she'd been put in charge of this big project where they had they were doing a a, a large mail campaign, and uh, so they had like three hundred thousand mail pieces they were going to drop, and uh, and so she had you know gotten everything coordinated and everything, and and they they printed these you know they'd printed up the the mail pieces, and on the the night before the drop uh, was supposed to go out. Um, she grabbed one of those mail pieces and she looked at it and and, and oh she realized that they had put the wrong 800 number on oh. it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh and so she 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 said I was horrified to realize that you know that that had sure. fallen through the cracks, you yeah. know. And she said I I uh I thought that my you know my my career in marketing was over on <laughs> you know on that evening and yeah. so she said so I with great trepidation she she you know goes into her boss's office and points out the you know the mistake and and she said I was I was firmly ready to be fired you know yeah and uh, she said my boss you know just looked at it and said okay so what can we do to fix this now and 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 I remember her telling the story and she said you know she goes she had such a uh, a, a calm and measured response, you know, whereas inside of me, I'm, she's freaking yeah, out, freaking you know, out and, and her, bombs are going yeah, off. And, exactly. Yeah. And, and she said, and, and, you know, because she was so like, okay, well, what do we got to do to fix it? You yeah. know, matter of fact. Yeah. And, um, and, and she, you know, she said, so we sat down, we kind of brainstormed about, you know, what we could do. And, and ultimately she said, we, you know, we, we came up with a solution and, you know, and, and it worked out okay. Um, but she, she said, you know, she goes, it, it taught me a ton from a, you know, from a leadership perspective, perspective of the, how, when we as leaders respond certain ways, it, yeah. it impacts that, you know, kind of the, the, how our people feel about yeah, things. the emotional transferability. Exactly. You know, and so the, um, I think, you know, another thing that as leaders we can do is just consciously remain calm yeah. you know and, and don't freak out if something goes wrong because they're already freaking out yeah. you know you can be pretty well assured of that yeah um nobody and if, likes making mistakes exactly and, and if we freak out then we just double down the emotion you right. know but but to have that measured response and to go okay well it is what it is we can you know what what can we do yeah yeah and i think that's that's the brilliance of it is you know not only the calm but okay how do we fix it yeah what yeah do, you know 
yeah. the next step. Exactly. And and because that's really all that matters, you know, how, right. do, we, how do we fix it and how getting, do we make sure it doesn't happen again? Yeah. Getting you know? all upset doesn't do anything other than exactly. piss everybody off. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, I, I think that's another thing we can do. And I think, I think too, as leaders, you know, we, we, we have to be mindful of when we are when we're thrusting our people into their comfort zones you know and and so if we're going to if we're going to you know we have to acknowledge the fact that everybody has comfort zones we have to acknowledge the fact that everybody has fears and so as leaders you know if we acknowledge that fact and we understand when we're pushing our people into those i think that that you know that also helps us to make sure that that we're that we're going to do the right things and yeah. you know from Just from that perspective exactly yeah um well let's let's define that because we've we've used comfort zone a few times um and i think you know i think everybody has an idea of, of a comfort zone but i've always really liked the way that that um that you guys define comfort zones so mm-hmm. what what is a comfort zone the well, first we have to real, we all have them right yeah, you know sure. they're they're not all the same you know yeah. we have different comfort zones but we all have comfort zones um, a uh, this the simplest way to look at a comfort zone or to really define it is to think of it this way it's it's um, it's an imaginary line basically that we have in our head and like all lines there's you know there are two anchoring points to it um the, the the first anchoring point of a of a person's comfort zones will be based upon what they believe about their potential right mm-hmm. so so anytime we're we're asking them to do something that's beyond what they believe that they're capable of yeah. um that's when they'll bump into their comfort zones that's when they kind of get the cold sweats or the butterflies in their stomach that kind of thing right. so so that's that's the first anchoring point of an individual's comfort zones that the the second one is going to be based upon their current level of experience yeah so anytime we're asking them to do something they've never done before Right. You know, that again is when they bump into their comfort zones. So, yeah. you know, f- from a leadership perspective, you know, if, if we step back and we, we ask ourselves, you know, you know, does this person, you know, do they believe that they can do this? That's a little harder to define. You know, you, you get a sense from people, but but it's, you know, certainly the, you know, have they ever done it before? That That's right. very easy for us to define. Right. Um, and, and to recognize that, you know, it's it, it, anytime we run them up against those two, those two things, they're going to be, they're going to have that sense of trepidation. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, I think, you know, it's, uh, it's important too. like, you know, we kicked off this conversation talking about everybody has fears. And, uh, and so for that, that second point, if it's something that you haven't done before, regardless of how you feel about your potential, if it's something you haven't done before, you're going to feel that, yeah. that sense of fear. It's, or you're crossing that comfort it's, zone. It's, exactly. It's innate. And, and I think if you, look at the, if you look at the best of leaders, you know, and this is one of the other great, great things that has come out of being able to interact with leaders around the world, um, you know, so often, just as um, you know, you, people talk about how great leaders have created a you know a safety zone for people, or that they always had their people's back. Mm-hmm. 
one of the other things that that folks will consistently say about the about the those the greatest of leaders they had in their past is that you know those those great leaders had that overwhelming sense of belief in you know in the individual yeah. and that and you know and they and they they kept encouraging people they kept you know you know saying that hey i believe in you i know you can do this yeah. and if you really step back and think about it that speaks to that second side of the of a comfort zone sure. you know it's 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 based on experience and belief and potential yeah. so you know great leaders are constantly working to stretch what their people come to believe about their capabilities by encouraging them, by by reminding them of the times in the past when you know they did something that they didn't think they were going to be able to do, and yet they they did it well. And you know, so I think you know if if you look at great leaders, they're you know they're 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 always working those those two points, kind of pushing them out in people's minds, yeah. so that they're expanding people's comfort zones. Yeah, yeah, it's you know it's the first one being that you know the the current level of experience where everybody's going to feel it it seems that it's that second one that mm-hmm. differentiates people yeah well what what their level is of belief in their potential that's what differentiates people and will de- ultimately determine do they step outside actually step outside the comfort zone or do they freeze yeah. right at yep. the edge yeah that's exactly right yeah and that's what and, and I guess that's really what the, what people see in those great leaders, or whether it's a coach, or whether it's a, yeah. you know, whether it's a leader in a business realm, or, or even just a parent, you know, who is just constantly reminding their children that you know of of what what they're really capable of, and what you know what their their true potential to learn and to grow and um, is, and and that is the. Um, you know, we talk about it in terms of unlimited potential or that unlimited ability to learn. Yeah. Um, and that is, you know, one of the one of the greatest gifts that that a parent gives to a child or or a leader gives to, you know, a person on their team is really that gift of belief that that, you know, that they the 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 acknowledgement or the reinforcement in the fact that, you know, they, you know, you, you can learn this, you can do this, you know, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be effortless. It's going to take practice. There's going to be setbacks. But as long as you stick with it, I know you can do it. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, that, that really gives people the courage. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, the affirmation of that, of that belief that that's what's ultimately going to change their life. Yeah. That's exactly it. All right, Dave. Um, I think uh, that about wraps up um, our conversation before we, before we do wrap up. um, uh, Do you have any closing thoughts on on fear, something that you'd want to, you'd want uh, our listeners to to walk away with. Um, you know, it's it's funny, and as we're sitting here talking about the 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 topic today, I've been kind of going back to the crossroads in you know in my life where where um, I was at those points in time where where I was uncertain or you know, where I was fearful and, and, uh, I, um, I remember, uh, there was, well, I was coming out of grad school and, uh, I was, uh, I was really torn in terms of, you know, what, what was my pathway going to be coming out, you know? And so I was out interviewing uh and you know looking for looking for jobs and stuff like that and i'd I'd actually accepted um a job 
uh, with a with a, a firm down on Wall Street, and and it was kind of the job that uh, it was definitely the job that my dad wanted me to have. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, the uh, the one that looked good. Oh, absolutely. You know. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, I was, for some reason, there was something inside of me that, that just didn't quite feel right about it, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I remember I was, I was sitting down with uh, one, of my, one of my professors. Um, and he was kind of like an early informal mentor of mine, you know? And uh, so I was telling him about this kind of uncertainty that I was feeling. And he had been a he'd been a successful entrepreneur and uh, had started a number of companies, retired, and now was teaching as a way of kind of giving back, you know. And so we're sitting in his office, we're talking, and he he asked me, he goes, "Well, Dave, he goes, uh, he goes, if you could do anything at all, he said, what would you do?" Love that question. Yeah. And I sat and I thought about it, and I said, you know, my my dad was an entrepreneur. And so, and he was kind of my role model as I was growing up. And uh, I said, you know, in the in the back of my mind, I, I uh, always thought that I'd like to, you know, start my own company. And uh, so he goes, uh, uh, he goes, well, why don't you do that, right? And I said, well, I said, you know, I, I. I don't have a business idea. I don't have any money. I don't have any experience starting yeah. a business. I this is all my yeah yeah all my don'ts you yeah. know. Yeah. And uh, and he gave me a he gave me a wonderful piece of advice and 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 one that has been applicable countless times in my life. He said, you know, Dave. He goes, um, one of the things I've learned in my life. He said is that. Um, there, there are going to be times in your life where you're going to want to do something. And, uh, and he goes, you know, in, at times you will have gathered all the data and all the facts and all the information. And, and at other times you won't have that, but you just want to move in a given direction. He goes, and, and you'll get to a point, and he said, it'll, it'll feel like you're standing at the edge of a cliff. And he said, you know, you'll, you'll look out over the edge of that cliff at the unknown on the other side of it, you know, and he goes, then you're going to look over your shoulder at the, you know, the certainty of the known and what's happened in your past and, and, uh, kind of like you were in New Zealand. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Very similar, you know? And, uh, and he, and he said, what, what I've seen in my life is that for most people, when they get to that point, they turn around and they walk back. He goes, what I did is, he goes, I, whenever I was at that point in my life, he goes, I made the forward step. And he said, what I found was everything that I value most in my life, everything I cherish most in my life happened because I made that forward step. Um, and he said, it, he goes, as we're sitting here talking, he said, it feels to me like you're standing on that cliff right now. And, uh, uh, I remember I, um, uh, so I, I, you know, I went back to my apartment, uh, you know, that afternoon, and I, I actually called the the Wall Street firm, and I turned the job offer down that afternoon. That afternoon, <laughs> I, I still, I'll never forget talking to the their their recruiter. She thought it was absolutely freaking nuts. <laughs> um, 
And uh, and then that evening, uh, I uh, I was talking to my dad, and I told him I turned the job down. I, mm-hmm. It was probably one of the most disappointed times he's been <laughs> in me in my life. Yeah. Um, and he asked me what I was going to do. And I said, I'm going to start a business. And he's like, well, what are you going to do? And I, and, and I said, I don't really know. I said, but I'm going to need some place to start it. Could I use your basement? You know? <laughs> um, but, you know, that, that piece of advice that, that, that he gave me that day, you know, has served me so many times in my life because there's been a lot of times I felt like I was standing at the edge of that cliff. And, and you know, just recognizing that the things that you really come to value in your life, the things you're proud of, the things you cherish, so often do happen because, because you're willing to step forward even though you have that uncertainty. And, and so I think it's important just to, you know, it's okay to be afraid. You know, it's 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 okay to be uncertain. It's 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 okay to have the butterflies in your stomach, to have those the cold sweats, and you know. But we don't have to let that stop us, and you know, and and just to remind ourselves that, you know, the the greatest things that will happen to us in our lives oftentimes live on the other side of taking that step that seems like a cliff, but in reality is just imaginary line. Yeah. Dave, you're a busy guy. So I appreciate, thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat with us today. I know I appreciate it. And I know everybody listening appreciates it. Um, to everybody listening on the other side of your greatest fear is your greatest life. Talk to you soon. Hey guys, one more thing before you take off. This is Motivational Intelligence Insider. It's just a very short, exclusive email uh, every Monday that comes from Dave, John, and the guests on this show. Uh, This is the only place they share their very, very best stuff, and it's delivered right to your inbox every single Monday. Uh, This could include exclusive tips for upping your game, uh, articles they're reading, videos they're watching, stories from the road, and on and on. It's the best way to kick off your week, and this content is uh, comes directly from Dave, John, and the guests, and is only available to subscribers of Motivational Intelligence Insider. So if you want these guys in Galaxy email you their best stuff, go to 2logical.com forward slash insider. That's the number 2logical.com forward slash insider, and drop in your email. And if you do, I hope you enjoy it. The Motivational Intelligence Podcast is produced by the team at 2Logical. 2Logical is an international corporate training firm and the world's leading expert in motivational intelligence, which is the ability to understand, manage, and change the motives people have. 2Logical offers over 30 different keynotes, workshops, and full training courses to small, medium, and large Fortune 500 companies in 53 countries, a lot of which you're probably familiar with. Pfizer, Bank of America, GE, Constellation Brands, P&G, and more. All solutions are completely customized and the feedback from these sessions will blow your mind. If you have any training or speaking needs or just want to say hey, head over to 2logical.com.